Welcome to Life Class with Reverend Kojo. Now today we have a show for the books, and today's topic is you need your haters. I know you may not believe it, but the bottom line is you need your haters, and you really shouldn't be trying to run from them. Embrace them. They, can, You know, the worst they can do is hate. And, you know, I think they said in a song, how you gonna hate from outside the club you can't even get in. But hey, that's not what we're here to talk about. You need your haters. One of my actual favorite psalms, and I think it's one of the most common psalms that everybody seems to know, is the 23rd psalm. To me, you know, for a long time, it was the funeral song, the psalm. You know, when the preachers walk in, they're always saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down. And, you know, that that's, that's the scripture that they, they recite as they're walking in, and people are solemn. And I think we recite that one. Because it talks about death, you know, verse four says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And it brings a lot of people solace and a lot of people comfort saying that even in this season and not understanding what's going on and why it has to go on, that death is indeed a part of life, but God is yet there. But I think we forget what the Bible says just one verse later. And it says, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So in other words, in order for you to eat, in order for you to get what God has for you, your enemy's got to be there. In order for God to show up like he really wants to show up, now he can bless you with some petty blessings. He can really give you some small stuff. He can keep you and preserve you, and nobody has to even know. But when he gets ready to bless you like he wants to bless you, your enemies are going to be present. You know, I do a lot of reading, and one of the things that I've read recently was the, the uh, what is it, the 48 Laws of Power. And at first, the 48 Laws of Power kind of rubbed me the wrong way because it was the antithesis of everything that I kind of teach. You know, it teaches you how to be cold and stoic and not care about people. But one of the laws said that you should hire, if you hire an enemy, he'll be faithful forever because he has something to prove. But if you hire a friend, you've got to keep your eyes open. You've got to watch your back because now they're going to get comfortable. And, you know, I don't necessarily always practice that because I want to hire people I trust, but I think there is some gravity to that. Um, because your enemies have done you wrong in the past and they've been malicious in the past and they've had issues with you in the past and they've made known that they have issues with you and nobody has to guess or wonder whether they have a problem with who you are and with what you do. The only thing is, is after a while, that type of stuff begins to weigh on a person. And so when you, when, when, once they are trying to make their conscience clean, once they're trying to be better, once they're trying to move forward, they're going to be faithful because they have something to prove, especially if they've done you wrong, especially if they've talked behind your back, especially if they've tried to stab you in the back. And this is not a hard and fast rule. Some people are just going to be evil till the day that they die. And I'm just lay it out like that. Some people are just going to be dirty and nasty and they're not going to do right. But there are some people who were bad in one day or in one action, but they actually were decent people, and they just had a moment of folly and fallacy. Or sometimes, you know, I realize that people get together and they talk. And when they get together and they talk, they paint these pictures of you that are not necessarily true, but they are just the perception of what everybody thinks of you. And so they tell these things as if they are the gospel truth, And so everybody in that room's perception of you has been contorted until they get to know you. And now they spend five years hating you, despising you, waiting for your downfall and your demise, hoping that nobody will follow you, that nobody will walk with you and talk with you. And the reality is that you were a decent person from the jump. 
Now, you may not be a decent person, and I'm not saying that all of you listening are decent people. Sometimes we need to do what I call an ultrasound. If you haven't read Pregnant with Possibility, I write all about There's a whole long chapter on ultrasounds. But just in the Cliff Notes version is that an ultrasound is an introspective look into yourself. We're so quick to look at other people. We're so quick to sum people up and to say they're not doing this, they're not doing that, the other. You know, I was watching a video of Tyler Perry uh, speaking into the life of um, of T.D. Jakes. And people automatically in the comments were saying, this is the same man who puts on women's clothes for entertainment. This is the same man who does this. And how could he dare speak in tongues? And how could he dare uh, uh, get up there and prophesy in the name of Jesus Christ? He's an abomination unto Christ. Now, I don't believe that. And I don't believe that because I believe that's Old Testament teaching. And, I, you know, Christians, we got to learn how to laugh. Um, and, and it's not a lifestyle that he, he, he actively provokes. He does it as a job. He's not hurting anyone. And if I'm wrong, God, I believe the Lord will, will send somebody to correct me in grace. But I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I, I, I don't. I don't. Um, but people were, were jumping and were so self-righteous that they could miss the message. And what I've learned is that some people will hate on you just because they can't understand the anointing on your life. They can't understand the gifting on your life. They can't understand why you would be elevated and why they're not elevated. And so they find things to nitpick about you. So they can't hear the message that you're trying to give. All of his messages are positive. I'm yet to see a work by Tyler Perry that is negative. Even though sometimes it's down dirty and to get the message across, it seems negative, but it always ends positive. Why? Because he's, he has a message that of positivity to share. And I, I wouldn't be willing to bet that Satan would be, um, would be paying a man to spread the gospel. You know, he, he might be trying to contort it, but from what I've seen and what I've heard, it's all sound. And since it's all sound, we have to, we have to glean from that. And we, we can't attack. When we get on attack mode, we begin to hinder our blessings. We begin to get on the other side of that table. He said, I will prepare a table in the presence of your enemies. Do you really want to be the, the enemy that's in the presence of somebody getting blessed? Or do you want to be the one on the other side of the table? See, and, and, and that doesn't exclude the friends from being present when he prepares a table. But I would be willing to bet. And this, this is just me analyzing scripture. This is not written. Uh, I would be willing to bet that your friends will be sitting at the table. Your family, the, love, the loved ones that have elevated you will be sitting at the table with you. I'd rather be sitting at the table than standing around the table in the presence and being the enemy. See, there's, there's something about when you uplift other people, you can be uplifted. But when you're always pulling people down, gravity seems to be against you. It seems to be pulling you down into the pit in which you're trying to pull somebody. Why do you think crabs in a bucket never works? Because everybody is pulling everybody down. But I will tell you, if you are pushing and pulling and helping one another get out, all of us can get out together. And so on the flip side of, of you need your haters, don't be a hater. You know, we, <laughs> and I don't understand why we do it. We have this thing, you know, I've been watching politics here lately unfold, and we heard that, that, that thing we call the 45th president of the United States get up and call football players SOBs, and we, we got up and we watched um, the reaction that's taking place over the country. But one thing that has irritated me, and y'all, y'all, I, I think I am qualified to talk about it because I grew up in Alabama and I live in Alabama. And so I think if it's going to be worse anywhere, it's bad here. 
you know, uh, and I and I, I had the privilege of going to a rather diverse school uh, and coming to a college that wasn't diverse. Um, I think 90% of the people here at Auburn University are white. And last I checked the statistic, which has been about two or three years ago, black people were 6%. And so the reality, you know, people, but people get upset. You start talking about race. Why does it have to be about race? Because you made it about race 300 years ago. And, and I, I know I might be stepping on your toes. I hope you don't unsubscribe to the podcast, but hear me out because I promise I'm going to bring it full circle. But the reality is, is that when we refuse to talk about situations and we're, we're, we're pulling people down in the, to the pit as well, there is an issue. There is a race issue. I don't think that everything is a race issue. I grew up in a place where I could sit at the lunch table with a Hispanic, a Muslim, uh, a, a Middle Eastern Muslim. I could sit at the table with, with an American Muslim. I, well, and by American, I mean like a black Muslim. I could sit at the table with somebody that was Catholic, sit at the table with somebody like me who was Protestant. I could sit at the table uh, with somebody who was Native American in descent. Sit at the table with somebody who was from a different country, and we all sat in the same classrooms. We we all had different experiences, but we would hear each other out. One of my one of my good friends from high school was a Jehovah's Witness, and I, I'm Baptist. And you know we don't get along on a lot of things theology, and we would duke it out, but we were still friends at the end of the day. We were still uh, cordial at the end of the day. We still had plenty of things that we could talk about and discuss, and even though we disagreed theologically, and we made it known to one another. I can remember one day in the eighth grade, both of us brought our Bibles uh, to school, and we duked it out. Uh, and and, and my, that was in my youth. We duked it out, and we had to get up from the table about an hour and a half later, agreeing to disagree because neither one of us was willing to be convinced, but we had the conversation. And I think that's one of the things that we're missing today is that we're not willing to have the conversation. If you don't think like me, if you don't look like me, you shut up talking to me. You must be part of the problem. And that's not always the case. Some of my good friends are white men and white women. Some of my good friends are and just like me, black men and black women. I know plenty of Asians, people that I sit down and talk to on a regular basis. I have been on ran campaigns for, for public office on several occasions, and nobody looked like me. And it didn't matter to me that nobody looked like me. I have been in rooms, especially in my time at Auburn University, and nobody looked like me. Everything is not a race issue, but some things are. Young boys getting gunned down in the street because they have a hoodie, a hoodie on and they're eating Skittles is a problem. And their killers running free is a problem. But just like it's a problem that I can't ride through the neighborhood in my church and not be approached by somebody on drugs is an equal problem in my eyes. It's also a problem when, when I'm riding through the city and I'm hitting potholes. I'm not, I'm not saying they're the same level, but we have issues that we're not willing to deal with, and, and we want to place blame on other sides of the aisle, and we want to hate on this person because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from Birmingham. I'm a Birmingham native and Birmingham, and well, I'm, I'm, I'm from the suburbs of Birmingham, so I can't vote uh, in Birmingham, but I'm from the suburbs of Birmingham, and they're in the middle of election year. They, they actually had the mayoral election, and there was like 10 people running. And so it's been narrowed down to two front runners, the incumbent mayor, who has seemingly brought the city forward in the last seven years. I tell you, Birmingham is not the same place that it was when I was growing up, and I'm so eternally grateful for that. Um, and then you've got this young guy running that a lot of people are getting behind because they're saying that um, the incumbent mayor 
is, is not the same, that he's not doing wonderful things. Well, we look at that situation and it has become a, bl- a, bl- a march of blows. This one is not doing this. He hasn't done this. And the other guy who was from um, the, the school board says, oh, he's got a bad rep too. And they're all the same. They're all from the same cloth. And the reality is nobody really wants to look at the good. Nobody wants to look at the good. And I'm not saying ignore the bad. I'm not saying ignore the bad. If there's money laundering taking place, yeah, that's a problem. If, they're, they're bri- if there's bribery happening behind closed doors, yeah, that's a problem. If people are trying to hide money, take money, if they're involved in situ- situations that are not good, that are not clean, yeah, it's an issue. And it's an issue that needs to be dealt with. But nobody wants to look at the good. I listen to people all over Birmingham, especially in this mayoral election, and it's been well, they're not taking care of the city. I'm like, Birmingham has moved moved forward, lops. You know, there was nothing to do within the city limits of Birmingham. If you wanted to do something, you stepped out of, into the suburbs. You know, there was really, uh, other than going to church, I didn't, I, I, driving through Birmingham, there wasn't any reason for me to stop. Everybody that I know lives in a suburb, except for the folks I go to church with. Most of the people I know live in the suburbs. Most of the people, I, most of the things I do are in the suburbs. And now there is entertainment downtown Birmingham. There are things to do downtown Birmingham. There are places to go. There are people to see. And there are nice amenities. You can walk through downtown Birmingham and not feel like you're going to get robbed. That's something, that's something to talk about. Now, granted, most of the neighborhoods within Birmingham are dilapidated. They are scary looking. And there, there does need to be attention to it. But personally... I think that's a sweep around your own front door thing. I'm, I'm, and, and I'm just speaking honestly. I'm just speaking truth. Personally, I think that when you look at situations like that one, the issues lie within the hands of the people who live in the neighborhoods. You know, I would be inclined to believe that if I had, a, and, and I have issues with one of my neighbors here in Auburn. They got like eight dogs and them things. They run wild. I have an issue with it. But it's incumbent upon me not to go to the city first and expect them to do with it, but first to do my due diligence and go next door and knock on the door. Hey, can you do something about them? Put a muzzle on them. Please don't let them come out after midnight, you know, things of that nature. And if I haven't done my due due diligence, I can't expect other people to do theirs. You sit in your house all day and you do all that you, you do, but you never go out and meet your neighbors. You never go out to neighborhood watch meetings. You don't have neighborhood watch meetings. When the neighborhood society gets together, you don't go out to that. Or they, they've disbanded it because nobody participates. And you want to complain why your neighborhood looks the way that it does. We've got to take ownership, guys. And even if you don't live, you're not, Birmingham is not your thing and you don't have it. Let's think about what your own, your own front door. Your marriage. He won't do this. She won't do this. She won't wash my clothes. He won't do this. I'll tell you, if that is your complaint in marriage and you're, you're always arguing, try this. If you're complaining about what he won't do and what she won't do, go you do it yourself. And watch the way that they treat you change. You know, you complain that she won't wash your clothes and she won't do this. If you start washing your clothes or you start serving her in the way that you want to be served, watch her start serving you. Now, you know, there are going to be a few exceptions, but most of the time, love will, will, not most of the time, love will not return void. The only time that it returns void is when it is not real. If you give love and you serve, 
service ought to come back to you. Now, if they don't have love for you in the manner that you have love for them, they can't reciprocate beyond their capacity. I think I talked about that last time. They can't reciprocate beyond their capacity. And so if you have a gallon of love to give to them and they, all they have is a cup, you're never going to be satisfied. And that's why we go to premarital counseling. That's why we, we, we ask a thousand questions when we're, getting, we're going through dating and engagement. Because you don't want to be paired with somebody that's going to cause you misery. You want to be paired with somebody that's going to cause you harmony. You know, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent that we deal with hell every, every day that we step out of the house. You're going to be faced with people and hellions and, and all kind of chaos all day long. But the moment that I step in my house, I want to be greeted with peace. I want to be greeted with some joy and some harmony. Can we get on one accord? And that's not to say that you're not going to argue with your significant other because it's going to happen. Y'all are going to disagree. You need a little bit of it. All of us need to disagree with somebody sometimes. It means we're human. But all day long, we should not be arguing. Everything that, everything that happens should not be an argument. I shouldn't have to go to work and fight with people and fight traffic and fight at church. Well, you shouldn't have to fight at church, but that's neither here nor there. And fight, and fight with the kids on the, on the basketball team and fight with these children and fight to get your children dressed and then come to turn around and come fight with the person that's supposed to mend you and put you back together. And I'm not saying they're your God. I'm not, I'm not insinuating that they're your God, but what I am saying is that in relationship, we have to commit to being committed to making this thing work. We're going to, if, 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 and, and that's, that's the step out of gender norms sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes, yeah, gender norm says she, cre- she does dinner. She washes the clothes. But if she hates to wash clothes and it's going to cause her misery and you, you're indifferent, go wash the clothes. Go make dinner, you know, and, and, and I, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I raise an eyebrow when I see a woman cutting the grass and, and she has a husband. I do. I do. But I'm from Alabama. But in reality, if she enjoys it and it's therapeutic for her and he likes to do the things on the inside, go for it. It's about what works in your house. Don't get upset and start hating on your spouse. He doesn't do this. She won't do this. And I'm angry and I'm tired of being angry. Why are you angry? There is a, for every situation, there is a, pos- a possible and plausible solution. You've just got to dig deep and get outside of the box to fix it. Like I said, you need your haters, but don't be a hater. Don't be a hater. You need your haters because people are going to hate. But I'm encouraging you not to be a hater. If you're trying to rise above and you're trying to live your best life, this is life school. There are going to be haters because everybody is not going to enroll in life school. Everybody is not going to try to live their best life. Some people are going to live mediocre lives, and we have to accept that. But if you're trying to live a better life and you're trying to go higher and go do more and experience more and live in a different dimension, you have to understand that everybody cannot live a life that is hate-free. But you can because everybody's not going to decide to. It's not that important to everybody. But see, there's this thing about peace. And, and, and if you know me, if you followed any of my teachings or anything like that, you know I'm a huge proponent of peace. Peace will change your life. It will change the way you walk. It'll change the way you talk. It'll change the way you perceive everything. Peace, peace is this thing that it comes in and it shakes up your life. And maybe one day I'll tell you my story on how the peace was introduced to me. But peace is one of those things that you have to preserve. If you won't preserve your peace, nobody else will. If you can't preserve your space and you are not a proponent of your own peace, you cannot expect somebody else to be a preserver of your peace. Your peace is predicated 
on a few things. Your peace is predicated on a few things. What you allow in your space and when you allow God in your space. Whenever you are committed wholly into seeking the presence of God, one of his characteristics, one of his fruits of his spirit is peace. Peace comes when you get in the presence of God. Peace begins to grow in you when you are allowing him to grow in you. But you can you can pay place pay some play blah, 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 pray some patty cake prayers. And if you pray some patty cake prayers that are not real, that are not authentic, that are not intimate, you're probably not going to have a whole lot of peace. But if you the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, I think 13, it says, if you will seek when you seek me and you seek me with your whole heart, then you will find me. But you'll find me. You catch that. You'll only find me when you seek me with your whole heart, when you push into my presence. Now, here's what peace will do. Peace will cause the issues that you have going on to subside. Peace will cause you to be okay with things you'll never be okay. You never would have been okay with otherwise. Peace will cause you to be able to walk through situations that would cause you to have migraines on any other days. Peace I consider to be God's stamp of approval. Here's why I think it's God's stamp of approval. Because when you don't have peace, usually there's chaos ensuing and you have a gut feeling that something's bad. But when God allows peace to fall over you about a situation, about a person, about a thing, about a job, about anything, typically he's saying it's okay to proceed. If you proceed, I'm going to bless you. But if it causes you to feel chaos in the pit of your stomach, something says don't go, that's not peace. So usually when God is okay with you moving forward, you go and you have an air of peace. Now sometimes we move forward and that's not what he intended. And we made mistakes. And we make mistakes over and over and over again. But one day, things begin plain and we can move forward and life gets better. But I'm a preserver of my peace. I don't like to be around people who make my stomach say, oh, you don't need to be here. I don't like to go into situations where I'm like, oh, I don't need to be here. And I darn sure don't like to date people that have, I have these gut feelings about that are bad. Now, I have been there. I have been in relationships that lasted way longer than they should have, and I knew they were bad for me. Why? Because I was lonely. And that's another thing, y'all. We can't allow our loneliness to depict and to dictate who we allow to stay and who we allow to leave. So here's my deal. Here's my deal. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You can't be running from your enemies because your table will never get prepared. Let them stay out there and watch you succeed. Let them, don't, don't block them. Let them stay, watch you succeed. Let them see God move on the inside of you because here's what might happen. As they see God do it for you and they see that you are unbothered by their hating, they're going to be curious what is on the inside of you. What, what is different about you that makes you want to move, that makes you so special, that makes you so different? What on the inside of you makes you relevant? Why is it that people are flocking to you, that people will listen to you, but they won't listen to me? And see, when your haters see that God is blessing you, they're going to want a dose of what you have. And there are some people who will always be haters. But I say embrace the haters. Embrace them. 
Because if you embrace them and you show them a love that they can't understand, they're going to be curious how you can give such a love. And then you'll have an opportunity to introduce them to the one who is love. Well, good folks, this has been Life Class with Reverend Kojo. I hope you received something. I hope you can start to embrace your haters. Now, just a few things. Don't forget to visit ReverendKojo.com. There's plenty of stuff there. You do not want to miss some things. There are, there are plenty of there's some merchandise on the way. If you haven't picked up a copy of Pregnant with Possibility, pick up a copy of that book. And not just because I wrote it, because I believe you are indeed pregnant with possibility. And there are things that God wants to birth on the inside of you, but you are standing in your own way. You just got to decide what you're going to birth. If you hadn't read Call to the Pig, Craving the Pit, I tell anybody, and I'll tell you anyway, God blessed me immensely while I wrote that book. That book, I would be willing to bet, was straight from God. Uh, there were things while I was writing that book that I was just like, oh, my goodness. I was blown away. So, and, and this is not just because I'm writing. I'm not being cocky. I'm telling you, he did amazing things through that, and you do want to tap into that goodness and that grace and all of that wonderful, wonderful stuff. Don't miss it out. Don't miss on that. Check me out next week. We're going to be back with an all new podcast. And until time, until next time, don't forget to stay in love with your haters. Y'all be blessed. <laughs>